If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, O priest who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar? But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame and sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of, Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there would be one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire upon my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what weariness is this? And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to Jubilee Church. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about a, a trip I was on and uh, some news, and then we'll get into uh, the series, a new series out of the book of Malachi, or, or Malachi if you're new to their Bible. Um, but I just got back from a, a trip in, in Cyprus, and it wasn't there on uh, vacation, but I, what I was there is we're part of a, a wider family of churches called New Frontiers. Uh, and it, it's a church planning uh, movement that started in the UK, and, and we've been a part of it for about 21 years, and it's now actually in about 88, not about, it is in 88 nations, uh, which is 33% of the world's nations, and uh, I'm a part of a, a leadership group, about 20 that, that give uh, leadership to our wider family, and uh, we gather uh, once a year, and we are gathering there, and it was just so encouraging. Um, to hear reports of like what God is doing uh, around the world, because sometimes we can think our world is the world, uh, but it's not. Uh, there's a there's a whole world out there, um, and they don't not. Well, anyway, I won't go there. Um, but it was so encouraging. Just one small little example. I wish I could, I mean I could would love to talk on and on about this, but um, there's football to watch. But the we uh, the there, these Chinese and, and uh, Chinese sisters are able to have a lunch with them, and they all they shared some and 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 the things that God is doing in China. I mean, the church is under a lot of persecution uh, in China. Um, there's some good things that have happened, and then there's been some steps forward, steps back in terms of how they 
the freedoms there, but it, there's definitely a persecution. In fact, most of the church is, is underground. Um, and, um, but I think they told me 10,000 people a day are coming to Christ in China, which is astounding. And uh, there's a, it's a tremendous persecution. Uh, it's, uh, they're okay if you're an adult, um, you know, if you're, you know, 20 something or whatever, and you, you they'll, they'll kind of let you believe what you want, but they, they're really strict with kids. And I heard one story where the school, they had 200 kids and they, they, um, they forced them to, to denounce Jesus. And so they came in and they did this thing and like a hundred of them, uh, like stepped away from Jesus. A hundred said, no, I still believe Jesus. And then they came at him again. And then another half went. So there's 50 left and they did it again, except they were, uh, stricter, and they stood in front of these these kids with with rulers, and uh, all but one girl um, uh, step uh, you know denounced uh, Jesus, and this girl uh, came back to this church and just said, "I could not, I just couldn't denounce my Lord." And I just thought about the faith of this this little girl, and I know that we undergo some difficulties and persecutions and. Um, but man, to be under that kind of pressure and to see the faith that's living inside of this sweet little girl uh, did a couple things for me. One, it, 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 it emboldened my faith and you know, whatever little challenges I have in believing and whatever embarrassments I have in believing and whatever that may have, I, I, I am emboldened in my faith and want to share my faith. But secondly, it just makes me want to pray uh, which again, you know, this week we have a week of prayer, so it'll be great opportunities to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. So that's a bit of a news. And one of the things that, uh, some news that I, uh, about my trip, some news that I heard while I was on my trip, you may have heard it around 7.30 last Tuesday. I heard it about 4.30 in the morning uh, on a Wednesday morning, and just the message that we uh, got approved uh, from the Sunset Hills to be able to purchase this land uh, in Sunset Hills, for those who don't know, we had been rejected twice before. The city said said no once, uh, said no twice, and then we then we went for it again. And they're like, "Nl no spells no." Like, why are you doing this again? And, and the only reason why is because we really felt in faith to pursue this and to pursue this and pursue this. And so we had a six to two vote in our favor, which is just a massive answer uh, to prayer. So we're really grateful for that. So we can. move forward. So, so that was encouraging. Um, I wish, you know, I wish, you know, I wish I would have heard not while I was sleeping, but other than that, it was, I kind of rolled over, you know, looked at the 50 texts as said we got the building and I was like, I should be excited about this, but I really just want to go to sleep. And so I came back when I woke up and then I was excited about it again, as you can tell. Anyway, well, today we're going to start a new series, uh, in the book of Malachi and, uh, where this series came from is uh, it came out of just our Bible reading plan that we're all doing, going through the Bible. Uh, and I came across this book, and God really spoke to me. And then he spoke to me out of Malachi uh, 4, and just in particular, about just God's heart to bring renewal to us, to bring renewal to our lives, and that he's made this covenant with us. And he has, he has shown us this way and how he wants to uh, and that sometimes though our heart can grow cold toward him and how he wants to bring renewal to our lives. And, and so I just felt really stirred. So I, I scratched what I was doing before 
and said, now this is what we need to do. Uh, and so I've been looking at this book, and we're going to take four weeks to look at this book. And just to say something a little bit about what like my job is or like what, what I'm supposed to do as one of the pastors. There are many other pastors who also have this responsibility. But one of my key responsibilities is to prepare you uh, for that day, and that day being uh, the day of the Lord, the, the day of his return. Paul said in Colossians 2, 6 that his desire was to present everyone as complete in Christ. And there's this maturity thing happening um, that has to do with you understanding that God is real, uh, he's, he's alive, uh, and he's coming back. And he wants us to live as those uh, eagerly anticipating his return and being serious and having big thoughts about who God is. And um, and so a part of seeing that maturing is one is to continue to reveal who God is and to, and to make sure that passion is alive and, and to see that, uh, that we're maturing in our faith and equipping for works of service. So because it's not just me who's, who's, um, uh, who's meant to stir up or even the other pastors, but we're all meant to stir each other up and not just up, but actually stir our city up and, and hopefully uh, the world. And so my job isn't, to, you know, primarily not to help you have a better marriage or well-behaved kids or a hard work, you know, a, a good paying but not so hard working job, I should say. And, um, and to do well in those areas, I, mean, I want you to do well in those areas. Those are important things, but they're not essential things. Essential things is a condition of your heart uh, to, to be able to remove idols, uh, to remove apathy and, and, and barriers that would get in the way of you seeing Jesus for who he is. And that result of passion for him is meant to move you to be upwardly motivated as well as outwardly motivated to do something in the world. And when you get a bunch of people in a community who are excited about their faith, they're passionate about Jesus, and they're, they're, they're passionate about what Jesus wants to do through them, there's some exciting things that can happen. Church life gets really exciting, and they begin to experience renewal. And this kind of renewal is what Malachi is, is meant to be bringing from God to these people so that they could experience the life of God again. And, and when you first come to Christ, let me show you something. When you first come to Christ, you experience something called regeneration. Regeneration is, a work, is, in, is the first work of the Spirit in your life. It's when, the, it's when you be, become aware of your sin and your need for God. It's, it's where repentance happens. It's, it's that moment that Paul says that you become a new creation, there's that language, you know, being born again. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it's being born of the Spirit. You're born again of the Spirit. It's a regeneration. It, it, God changes. He, he, he removes your heart of stone and gives you a pumping heart of flesh. There's a regeneration work. That moves to uh, a, rest, a, a restoration work in your life. This is when God begins to restore the things in your life that sin took from you. You know, because of the fall, we lose things the sin that we commit and the sin that others commit toward us, things get taken from us. But the promise of, of, of God's, for God's people is that he will restore what sin took about. If you ever read another minor prophet called Joel, that's what that's all about. This restorative work that God wants to do in your life. Things, you know, there was, uh, you know, you're maybe your own sin, addicted patterns and, and, and sin and pride and, and destruction that that caused and maybe broken relationship. He begins to restore those things in your life. And it's an amazing thing that happens, but that's not all God wants to do. He doesn't just want 
you to um, you know, have regeneration and become aware of who he is and, and, and praise God that you're in him. He wants to restore things, but he wants to do something else. He wants you to experience personal reformation. And this is where you begin to realize that you've got some growing to do. That, that you're not in, I'll use some Bible language, you're not in step with the spirit, but you see that actually you still do things according to the flesh. And reformation is where you really become aware of your old way of life and your, and your, aware, your need for a new way of life, this life in the spirit. And so Paul um, you know, compares and contrasts what it means to like live by the flesh and what it means to live by the spirit. So it's putting on Christ and putting away the flesh. This is what discipleship is all about. When you, when you go to growth track part two, you'll, you'll learn about how we view discipleship, but reformation is like when you get on that train. So you can, you know, rep, um, you can experience regeneration and restoration, and that makes a great testimony. We want to put, put a mic in front of your hands, in front of your face, sorry. We're going to put it in your hands, front of you, whatever. You get it. It's a long day. Um, I'm still jet lagged. So we, um, it, it's like, this is what, you know, regeneration is, you know, I was, I, I didn't know I needed God and, and God awoken my soul. And now that I've found God, there's restoration. He's doing some things. And many of you have that testimony, but what you, what you may not have experienced yet is reformation. You may not have been, you may not engage discipleship. This is where you, 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 you're, you're pushing into service. You're pushing into community. You're pushing into his word. You're, you're seeking to have, to, 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 again, put away the flesh and walk in step with the spirit. But here's what I want to talk about now is renewal. Renewal is when an entire community is experienced restoration and reformation on a personal level. And there's real energy in the church, not just human momentum, but legitimate work of God is happening and church life is exciting and, and things are being renewed and, and there's passion and there's, and there's energy. It's what God is doing amongst us. And, and as I look back over the past 10, 20 years, as I follow Jesus, I've seen a couple, um, I'd say renewal in churches. One is a theological renewal where people begin to uh, be awakened to the, you know, the idea of grace, that you know, following Jesus isn't about obeying these rules, but it's about what he's done for us. not about what we've done, but about what he's done. And there's a renewal. There's been theological renewals. There's been a renewal around mission. Up until about 10, 20 years ago, about 20 years ago, people didn't really talk about planting churches and starting new churches. And, and over the past 10 years, uh, especially, there's been a, renew, a church planting renewal. And I'm seeing in our community, our four locations, like spring buds of renewal. I'm seeing, you know, people coming to Christ and God restoring things and great testimonies and people getting serious and growing in in what it means to uh, live this life in the spirit, beginning to see the beginning stages of renewal. But really felt like God wanted to press upon us. And really, so as I read Malachi, I say, oh, this is a message that we need to hear. And God wants us to experience renewal. Actually, God wants us to experience more than renewal. I almost didn't know if I should share this, but because I'm not going to talk about it. But revival. Um, revival is just a sovereign act of God that's bigger than an individual. It's actually bigger than a church. It's something he just moves upon a city or region. And um, I've not experienced that in my lifetime. I, I long for it. I pray for it. I want it to happen. You know, God does things in a, in a day that 
could take 20 years. God does things in him. You know, he just does that. And he just moves. And this isn't this is out of our control. And we can pray for it. But it's, it's something that God does. And we, we should pray for it. And you can read about that in history. We want revival. But what this series is about is about pursuing renewal. But in Malachi mentions four things, four barriers that get in the way to us experiencing renewal that I want to, want to talk about. He lists. In fact, if you have an NIV, uh, the titles that he puts in there, the barriers he puts, that's where I got these titles. So I'm, you know, that's where I got them from. First one is, is careless worship. The first barriers is, is careless worship, which we'll talk about today. Next week, we'll talk about broken relationship. These are barriers that can get in the way of you experiencing uh, relationship, or excuse me, renewal, careless worship, broken relationship. Thirdly, apathy toward injustice. Apathy toward injustice. And if you're like, oh, that doesn't sound very interesting, well, then I'm talking to you. Um, So unless you want, well, never mind, I won't say it. You should be at that one unless you're indicting. Anyway, never mind, sorry. Finally, withholding the tithe. He talks about withholding the tithe. And I'll explain why he says that. So four things that barriers to renewal, careless worship, broken relationship, apathy toward injustice, withholding the tithe. So let's talk about um, let's talk about these things. Well, actually, let me say this. These, these, are, these are four things, and, and, and I'm just going to say that I believe that um, one of these four, or maybe more than one of these four, and perhaps all these four, is preventing you specifically from experiencing personal renewal. And my hope is, and I want to invite you to do this, you know, as you're as one of your pastors, to open your mind, but not just open your mind, but to open your heart uh, to this being true of you. Um, to, to consider how one of these things could be reducing your passion, hardening your heart, or quenching the work of the Spirit in your life that may want, that God wants to bring renewal in your life. The, one of these four, maybe some of the, more than one or all of them even, at some level is, is preventing. And I really want you to press into this. And it's hard to press into something. And, you know, it's, hard to, it's hard to look in the mirror when you know you're not doing well. And the Bible presents itself as a mirror, a soul-examining mirror. So when we read our Bibles, we're not so much examining the Bible as the Bible is meant to be examining us. And it's never good to look in a mirror when you know you're not doing like, you know, if you know, like, it's not good to look in the mirror like after Thanksgiving. Like, you know you've gained weight. Like, it's not good to... I just went on, I was 20 hours in a plane. I had sweatpants. I had, I had like grease all over my t-shirt from just like sitting in that chair for 20 hours and, you know, food just going down. My hair is all messed up from sleeping. And, you know, I did not want to look in a mirror. I knew that I didn't look. So when you know that you're not doing well, it's hard to look in a mirror. It's hard to look in a mirror. But the mirror is telling the truth and the mirror wants to help you. God's word is truth. And God's word wants to help you. I just want to invite you to, to, um, to stand in front of the mirror as we go through these next four weeks. So we're going to talk about careless worship. And God speaks a complaint to his people 
Uh, and, he, and his complaint is directed at the priest, and so you need to know that, but just so you know that the priest represented the thoughts and the desires and the actions and the attitude of the people. So in speaking to the priest, he's speaking to everyone, and his complaint was that they're bringing these lame, sick animals, you know, missing legs, the three-legged goat, you know, the one that's scrawny and not producing milk. They're, that's what they are bringing to the altar. They are blemish sacrifices, and they are representing this careless heart of worship And so according to Malachi, this careless worship is a failure to see the greatness of God, and it's a failure to feel the greatness of God. So in talking about careless worship, it's a failure to see the greatness of God, to recognize the greatness of God, but it's also a failure to to feel that, to really engage your heart that way. And he makes that clear in how he responds to them. In fact, in verse six, he says, if I am a father, he says, you're coming to me like in a service like this. You're gathering around me. You're calling me father. And he says back to them, if you're calling me father, like if I'm your father, like if that's how you see me, then where's my honor? He doesn't say, where's my affection? You know, he doesn't appeal to the tenderness. You know, I've, I've forgiven you. I've loved you. I've been gentle. And he doesn't say, he says, where is my honor? He wants reverence. He's looking for for, for reverence, you know, that commandment, the fifth commandment of the great 10 commandments is not to love your parents. Children, they should love their parents, but the commandment is to honor your parents. Have you ever thought that way about God? That if, he, if, he, if, if you are in his spiritual family, if you're saying like, I'm, I belong to him and, you know, he's, he's my God, he's my father, he says to, okay, then where's my honor? Where's the reverence? Where's the awe? Where's that thing in you that thinks and feels, oh my goodness, he is great, that shows up in how you worship me? Where is that? If you're old enough, you might remember movies like Old Yeller. Anybody remember Old Yeller? Rin Tin Tin, Benji Lassie. Anybody remember those movies? I'm sure that their library, it's, you know, the library, it's that thing you, where you have this little card that you go to. And basically, these movies were about these animals that saved your life about 100 times. That's basically what these movies are. Now, the modern example of that, they replaced the animal with artificial intelligence, so like Big Hero 6. So you may have seen, anybody see Big Hero 6? It might still know, Okay. Well, yeah, see, you're probably too young because I have kids. So if you're really old or if you're, anyway, never mind. So uh, you can imagine, what, imagine if you, if you loved an animal or a robot a lot and they saved your life. This is the kind of affection that you would feel toward. And here's how these stories go is that these animals, so at, in the beginning, they weren't sure about the relationship. They were kind of standoffish. And, you know, I don't know if I really like this robot. I don't really li- know if I like this animal. But then something happens where there's a connection between the animal or the robot, and the robot ends up saving their life. And, the, and then the, the person has these deep abiding feelings and passions for this robot or this animal. And then the, the animal dies or the robot gets destroyed. And you cry unless you're totally heartless. Um, because there's this deep connection. And maybe you felt that way about an animal, or maybe you felt that way about a person, even a spouse, like our, or a daughter, or a son, or a parent, that you, this deep abiding affection for someone that you love very much. But I doubt, I doubt, I doubt, I doubt that you've ever, ever been tempted to bow to your knees and worship 
that animal or that person. So God's saying, I don't want just your, I'm not looking for your affection. I'm looking for your, he's not saying, where's my affection? He's saying, where is my, or where's your affection? Where's my honor? He, he, an indispensable element of worship is, the, is seeing and feeling the greatness and the grandeur and the majesty of God. And that's his complaint that's leading to careless worship. How was it leading to careless worship? Well, Malachi saying, well, the, it, it, you're, it makes a person bored with God and excited about the world. You see, if you don't, if you don't, if you lose your awe and reverence for who uh, uh, God is, if you don't see the greatness of God, what you end up doing is you end up falling in love with your own shadow. And what I mean by that is you start uh, pursuing short-lived pleasures and you know a career or money or a relationship. Um, and, 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 and you may be, you may have thoughts about God or desires about God in your mind, but your heart, see, Jesus said that once, didn't he? He said, he said, your lips are near, but your heart, my people, their hearts are far from me. And you can get into that place. And, and Malachi, it said, this is what happens with our attitude. And he reveals that in Malachi verse 13, he says, or excuse me, it says, but you say, so this is us saying this, what weariness is this? So when you lose your reference for God, you begin to become bored with God and bored with worship and bored with who he is and bored with what he's doing on earth. And so you say, man, man, this is a drag. This is, this is weariness. And it says, and you snort at it, says the Lord. In other words, you're bored with God. So Sunday comes around, you're like, well, I guess I better go. Now you may not say that, but you feel that. I guess I better go. Seems like the right thing to do. I don't want God to be mad at me. I mean, I'm in enough trouble as it is. I don't, I don't want, you know, I, I, it's the thing to do. You see, David in the Psalms had a totally different attitude. He said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. So it wasn't just a mental thing. It was a heart thing. Like my heart was glad. There was passion, there's desire. I was glad when, I, when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. When you get into this mindset where you're bored and it's just, like, you know, going through the motions and that, you know, it's like, I got to go to like pay God off and he's upset with me. You know, your song is that your song is more like, you know, I owe, I owe, it's off the church I go and you march on. And that's how, that's your mantra. You just become bored with God and you have this kind of mental ascent that God exists, but you know, you'd rather be on a beach somewhere. You'd rather be doing something else. If the truth be told, it's just weariness to you. Being a part of the church is weariness to you. You need two things in a week? Sunday and community group? Are you serious? What are you like, Stalin or something? Like, what are you asking of me? When we become so blind that the maker of the galaxies and the ruler of the nations and the lover of our souls becomes boring, the only thing left is to love the world because your heart is restless. And if it doesn't find a treasure in heaven, it will find a treasure on earth. Broken cisterns, Jeremiah says they are, but we still want to drink out of them. We go searching for something else. And so that's why we bring the, you know, the, the three-legged goat and the lame sheep and the one that doesn't produce very much because I'd rather keep the good stuff. I want to, I want to, I want to leave my, the, the best of me, the best of my energy, the best of my time, the best of what I have for something else. So I don't bring the best 
I don't bring my mind. I don't bring all of my strength. I don't bring all of my heart. I don't bring all of my passion. I don't bring my best. I'm bringing what's left over. So yeah, I'll be there if, if I don't have anything to do this week. I'll, I'll, I'll participate, but our heart is not there. So what is the result? It's going through the motion. Worship is no longer a priority. He, he says, actually, in the, in the message translation, it says the altar of God is not important. Worship is no longer a priority, and we don't offer our best. It's just worthless religious activity and reflects really a very, very small value of God. And then God responds to that. This is what he says. He says, oh, that there would be one, um, one among you who would just shut the doors. That's how he begins to feel. So he's saying, if, if, if coming to you know, corporate worship is just this routine for you, I just wish someone would lock the door and just shut this thing down. Just close the church down. In fact, he does that in Revelation, by the way. If church is nothing but one of your hobbies, there's actually better hobbies. I mean, go play golf, tennis, watch TV, do something else. He's like, you're not doing me any favors by showing up, so just shut it down. That you might not kindle fire upon my altar in vain. Now, that phrase in vain packs a punch in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew. It's something that, it's this word hanim, which shows up a lot in the Old Testament. And, and there's a real close connection to how uh, Malachi used it here and how um, David uses it in 2 Samuel 24, 24, uh, that I want to mention to you. It's that time where um, there's a plague coming in and David goes before God. He wants to go before God to offer a sacrifice. And so he goes in this town. He's looking for an animal to sacrifice. And this one guy's like, hey, you know, David, you're the king. You know, you, just, you take my animal. Like, you can have it. And this is how David responds. He says, no, I won't take it. He says, I will buy it of you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, Hanim. Now, every English translation translates that to be, which cost me nothing. That word, Hanim, which cost me nothing. And that is what God is saying in verse 10. He's saying, I don't want any more offerings on my altar that cost you nothing. It doesn't cost you your energy. It doesn't cost you your mind. It doesn't cost you your strength. It doesn't cost you your priority. I'm not looking for a three-legged goat. I'm not looking for some scrawny animal. I'm not looking for leftover energy. I'm not looking for some token, hey, I guess I'll be there if I have to be there. Man, he wants your heart. Now, just to be clear, God doesn't, want, doesn't need a bad sheep or a good sheep. He's not hungry. He's not short on cash. There's nothing that we have to offer him. I mean, this is all, this is, this is for us. This isn't for him. I mean, because, you know, if you're looking at this from a distance, especially if you're not, on, if especially if your heart hasn't been regenerated, like you're, you're still kind of on the other side of the fence, peeking into who God is, you can may look at this and like, God seems kind of maniacal, like praise me, praise me, praise me. Now, if a human would do that, that would be kind of, you know, kind of needy there, pal. Like, what do you mean? You know, like you need praise. Like as a human being, that would be a wrong thing. But as God of the universe saying to praise me, what he's saying there, he said, there's something in me that only me can satisfy. 
There's something about me that is other, that is so valuable that if you have me, you could have nothing else but have everything. But if you don't have me and have the world, you have nothing. There's something in me that's indispensable. In fact, this is kind of played out in the Psalm when David says, in Psalm 42, one, he says, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Now, let me just say something. The deer gives nothing to the stream. The stream isn't getting anything out of that transaction. The deer is getting something from the stream. When, we, when God says, come, he's not like, oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, I had this little itch on my back and you scratched it. Like That's not what's going on there. He's saying there's something that, that you need that will only be satisfied when you see me for who I am and you give me your mind, the best of your mind, the best of your strength, the best of your heart, the best of your emotions, the best of your energy. You've got to be in that place. And when you have this, there's something in your soul that gets satisfied. And, and, for, and if you've been around, like we know that sometimes, but we don't always feel that sometimes. That's why it's great to get out like the Psalms and read the Psalms. I mean, a great one, the best one, I think, is Psalm 103. I mean, I mean, you can kind of see where David's coming from. David's like, come on, bless the Lord, oh my soul. All that's within me, bless the Lord. Come on, so wake up. Don't forget any of his benefits. I mean, he's, he's forgiven you. He's healed all your diseases. I mean, he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. Sometimes we have to like speak to our souls to wake up. And, and if your soul isn't woken up, if you're just coming in here with this thought, like, yeah, I know God's the creator of the universe. That I, oh, you know, like you're bored of it and your passion is not in that. That's not, God's saying, look, there, there, where's my honor? If you, where, where, where's your heart? Where's your passion? You're just coming in here with like, you're a three, like we're coming in with a three-legged goat. We're coming in here with our sick animals. We're coming in here with not the first, but the last, not our best, but the worst. We're giving, us, giving him our left. So we have to speak to our souls. And actually in speaking to our souls, we don't just speak to our own souls. We speak to the souls of others. So the heart of true worship is, is, like, is wanting your heart to be ignited with passion for Jesus. But actually, it, it's beyond that. And that's why we gather corporately. A, a, a true heart of worship wants to see that passion sustained in people around them. See, if you read on in that Psalm 103, David's not content for his own soul to bless the Lord. I mean, he's just like, bless the Lord on my soul. Then he's like, you know, bless the Lord, you know, you trees, your animals, the, the world, and you angels. I mean, he's just like, he's just like, it's not, see, because worship is expansive in nature. Once your mind and your heart begins to be awakened to who God is, you just, it has this like, that's why Jesus says, look, you know, when he goes, when he went into um, Jerusalem, and everyone's worshiping them, worshiping and worshiping. And they're like, hey, could you like keep these guys down? He's like, well, if I keep them down, the rocks and trees will cry out. Why? Because there's something expansive about worship. So when you get into that mode of like, there's a, this desire to have your soul uh, renewed and impassioned in your worship, not just thinking um, honorable thoughts, but actually feeling and revering and giving your body energy and emotion to that. You're, not, you're no longer just content for you to do this. That's why it's ridiculous that your faith could ever be private. 
It's like you have this, there's this passion that wells up into you where you want to see that sustained in others. And that's why we gather and worship. See, one of the things it says in the New Testament about the gathered community, it's not so much that we sing to God, but we actually, I know this sounds weird, we actually sing to each other, sing to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What's that about? Well, it's about, it's about saying, you know, there, our souls get weary. Our souls forget. And I need to stir myself up but I need you to stir me up too. And I want to stir you up. And then once we stir each other up and there's like legitimate renewal going on, not just individually, but corporately, it begins to bubble over into our city and into our world. And we begin to say, bless the Lord, not just my soul and my brothers and sisters' soul, but all the earth, bless the Lord. And so we want, it's not, God's like, where's he, he's, we need to come to him with not just our minds, but with our emotions, understanding that true worship, true worship is mind, body, soul, and strength. And that's what Jesus says in John 4. You know, that passage, he goes, I desire worshipers that don't just come to a place. It's no longer, it's not about Jerusalem. It's not about this mountain. It's no longer about a place. It's about worshipers who will worship in truth. So they'll, they'll, they'll worship knowing, knowing, knowing right thoughts about who God is. So we want to sing right thoughts. We want, to, we want to read the Bible. We want to understand with our minds who God is. We want to understand who God is. We want to, under, we want to worship in truth. Not truth, in, you know, in, in the chief truth being the gospel. That we, we stand here not because we've been good little boys and girls this week, but because of what Christ has done. So we can, be, we, can, we can worship him. We want, so we want to worship in truth, but we also want to worship in spirit, not according to how our flesh feels, but how the spirit inside of us feels. And the spirit inside of you is excited about who God is. And we try to muffle that down. But we want to, we want to live, but we want to experience that personal reformation where we begin to put away thoughts of the flesh and actions of the flesh and like she lived by the spirit and that gets expressed in how we worship. So we want to magnify God. We want to, we want to be those who say it's better one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. We want to be those people. We want to come to him thirsty saying, God, you're the only, God, you're the only soul. You're the only stream. You're the only source that can satisfy my soul. We come to him every week hungry, thirsty. God, it's you. It's nothing else. It's, it's not my job. It's not my relationship. It's not my spouse. It's not money. It's not any of those things. It's you. I need to find my fulfillment in you, not just knowing it up here, but having our hearts engaged. And we need to be around. We need, 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 need to be around other people who say, come on, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's spur each other up to love. Do you have friends like that? You have friends who are, who are inviting you, who are spurring you on. Like, because you, we get, we're, I mean, I know, I get it. And there's some mornings I wake up, I'm like, man, I don't want to hear another sermon and I'm the one preaching. Like, I don't, like, I get that. It's legitimate. Like, I'm not, I don't want this to turn, I, I realize something like this can turn very legalistic very, very quickly. So please understand this isn't about just white knuckling it and, you know, faking it till you feel it. This is like really legitimately having God do a renewing work in your heart. And not being content with going through the motions, not being content with being, uh, you know, another, another Sunday, but actually saying, no, that's not right. That's not who God is. That's not what he's done. Wake up, soul. 
bless the Lord and all that's within me, not half of me, not part of me, but all of me, bless the Lord. So how do we respond if this is you, if this is one of your barriers to renewal? And, and I think if we're being honest, I think all of us at some level experience this. If not all the time, at least part of the time. Well, he says to get on your knees and pray for grace. That God, to, to, to get on our knees and pray, that, and, and pray that God would be gracious to us, which is to repent. And repentance is a, is a, is a great word. You know, Peter says in Acts 3 to repent so that times of refreshing may come. Times of renewal, that we turn away from not just wrong thinking and even wrong actions, but you guys need to hear this. We need to hear this. But wrong feeling, wrong, wrong uh, attitudes, wrong posture toward this God. Not that you just did say, you know, you told a lie this week, so you need to repent. But no, it's like, okay, wait a minute. My soul's kind of sleepy toward God is. That doesn't seem right. If he's the creator God of the universe, if he can call a legion of armies, a legion of angels just to destroy the earth right now, I think maybe I should think differently than, oh, about him. I should think a little bit more. I should revere him a little bit more than I am. So actually like understanding that sometimes our, our emotions toward God, that our attitude, our posture it's wrong. So here's what I want to do. I want us to go ahead and if we can, I'm going to conclude right now by if we could stand. I just want to pray for us. The band can come up, come up. I just want to lead us in a prayer of just repenting. And, and I think this is true of all of us at some level, but it may be especially true of you. And, I, and if that's especially true of you, I just um, really lean into, let's do this. Let's just we could, if I could get you to close your eyes and open your hands and your heart to him, just, just start thinking about who, who Jesus is. Start thinking about what he's done for you. Don't forget his benefits.